Ephesians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live a long life here on the earth. And all the parents said, and some parents said, read it again, pastor, read it again. Second Timothy chapter number three, beginning in verse one says, but know this in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. Today we are continuing in our series, Following Jesus in Today's World, and I want to talk to you from the subject, Training Your Children for Triumph. Training Your Children for Triumph. And as we pray and ask God's blessing on this, I also want to include in our prayer all of our educators and all of our students that are going back to school or have gone back to school. So if you are an educator or a student that is going back to school, this prayer is also for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up this service to you. And Lord, we ask that you keep your hand of guidance, your hand of goodness, your hand of wisdom on protection on every student and every educator as we embark on another school year. We pray, Lord, that you would use those that are uh, yours, those that are uh, followers of Christ to be instruments, Lord, to, to lift up the name of Jesus and to lead and guide every one of our children. Father, we also pray for an outpouring of wisdom and common sense on those that are not children of God. Father, that you would also minister to them and protect them, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been saying it is becoming more and more difficult to follow Jesus in today's world, isn't it? It's a world in which right is called wrong and wrong is called right, and where there is a clear and obvious clash between biblical values and mainstream or secular values. And not just a clash, that is a cultural war going on as well between the two. Shaming people who believe that sin is sin has become commonplace, and those who hold unbiblical values have elevated themselves to the intellectually enlightened in our world, while anyone who disagrees with them is considered to be out of touch, unkind, or even hateful. This is 2022. And one of the clear and obvious distinctions between biblical and secular worldviews is highlighted for us in our text. In our text, it says that the promise or the, the admonition of God is for children to obey their parents, right? And, and yet, when we come to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, one of the characteristics of the end time culture is that children will be disobedient to their parents. We are living in an age where dishonor, disrespect, and disobedience among society as a whole is on a rise, but especially in our young people. However, they in many ways are victims of the crazy culture in which we live that feeds them these poison pills on a regular basis. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so proud of many of the teenagers and young people who every single week choose to come out to the house of God in our kids' ministries, in our youth ministries, to the point where our youth ministry is running out of space. 
And so we know that there are good young people, but nevertheless, one of the ways in which these anti-biblical values are intentionally taught to them is through the greatest training institutions of secularism that our world has ever or will ever know, and that is our schools and universities. As I pointed out, this ungodly use of our schools and universities was predicted and prophesied by many of the early founders of today's most prestigious universities. Timothy Dwight, the president of Yale from 1795 to 1817, said it like this, to commit our children to the care of irreligious people is to commit lambs to the superintendency of wolves. A. A. Hodge in 1823, the principal of Princeton Seminary and professor, he predicted the U.S. school system will be the most efficient and widespread instrument for the propagation of atheism which the world has ever known. We are living in those times. And that is why I am so proud to be the overseer of a K through 12 Christian school where Jesus is not kicked out of the school where he is the foundation of the school. And I know not everybody can send their kids to school, although if I were you, I'd do everything that I could to send your kids to a Christian school. However, uh, we are living in the fulfillment of these times that were predicted by these founders of our most prestigious universities. And this counter-Christian training is pumped into the minds of our kids from the time that they enter elementary school now uh, forward, and it's not the fault of the wonderful teachers and school leaders that give tirelessly and sacrificially to educate our children. But rather it is the result of the powers that be mandating that certain things be taught and other things allowed, not allowed or banned, such as the removal of prayer way back in 1962 and now even the mention of God. The latest affront to strip parents of their God-given parental authority was slipped into the last amendment of Title IX within the last few months, and most parents don't even know about it. What amendment? Well, the amendment that makes it legal for, legal, not illegal, legal for schools not to seek parental permission for children to participate in lessons on choosing and changing one's sex. The rules also grant children an absolute right to use school facilities and participate in activities consistent with their gender identity, regardless of whether their parents agree or are even aware of the child's choices. Matter of fact, you heard what's happening right here in Brookfield. Right here. Maybe you don't know about it. There is an uproar in the Brookfield schools right now because kids went into school and parents didn't know and now anybody and anybody who claims to be whatever are walking into whatever facility and bathroom they want to and parents are in an uproar right now because they don't know. It's now legal by Title IX. In many places, schools are already claiming legal authority to socially transition children without parental consent or knowledge. One school in Alaska recently used these rule changes as justification for changing a child's name and pronouns without telling her mother. Officials then revised every single school document other than those sent to the parents to reflect the child's new chosen name. When the mother found out and protested, school officials said, she had no say over the matter because of Title IX. 
Most alarming is that schools can claim that parents who don't affirm these choices by their children are endangering their children and file a report with child protective services and have the child removed from the parent's home. And this happened just recently in California. Welcome to 2022 and the fulfillment of the words spoken by Yale's president in 1795 and Princeton's president in 1823. This warped, intentional, and diabolical attack against parental authority is precisely what 2 Timothy chapter 3 states when it says one of the characteristics of the end time culture will be that children will be disobedient to their parents. What does this mean? Well, the word disobedient is from the Greek root word pitho. And pitho means to persuade or to convince. But this particular word, disobedient, has a prefix before it, the word a. And so it's a pitho. And a pitho literally means the following. It means unpersuadable, uncontrollable, or inconvincible. In other words, no longer able to persuade, lead, or influence. And the word parents is the Greek word begotter or begotten. And you see that a lot in the King James, right? Begotten and begotter. And it literally describes someone whose genes are responsible for how someone else is created and who has the responsibility of shaping that biologically created person into becoming what they will eventually be. Literally then parents describe someone who has been given the God-ordained responsibility to help their children become what God has created them to be. Parents are the ones that are tasked to guide, to cultivate, to rear, to raise, to morally and mentally train their children, not governments, schools, or any other institution outside of the home. We are the ones who have that responsibility. However, we realize that our kids will spend far more time usually being trained by culture and school than they are trained by their families and their parents at home. And the Holy Spirit is telling us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that one of the big signs of the end time culture is that that will precede the coming of Christ is that children will become disobedient to their parents because they will be trained and empowered by culture instead of by God-fearing parents whose parental rights will be limited by law. In other words, 2 Timothy chapter 3, written 2,000 years ago plus, precisely predicts what we see happening right before our eyes, and that is parenthood coming under attack and parents beginning to feel the loss of being able to persuade, control, lead, or exercise authority over their own children and children no longer submitting to or following the guidance and leadership of their father and mother. Now listen. There are certainly cases where parents have lost their parental rights because of poor choices, and that is wise because in those cases, children are in harm's way. But that's not what 2 Timothy chapter 3 is talking about. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is talking about a complete loss of parental rights and parental authority because of the way that culture strips it from them. Listen to one of the crazy stories that happened. A daughter was removed from the home of our parents several years ago because a school teacher was alarmed by her respectful attitude. The kid was so respectful to everybody, 
all their teachers, all her teachers, all, all, all the other peers so respectful that the teacher surmised that the only way that the kid could be that respectful is because their pe- parents were abusing them at home and that the kid was acting in fear. And so the, the, the teacher filed a report with DCF who came in, took the kid out of the parents' home, and the parents had a fight for two years never seeing their kid to get that kid back and convince a judge that the reason why the kid was respectful is because they raised her to be a Christ follower. That is amazing. This is the world that you and I are living in right now. So how do you and I train our children to triumph in today's world? Number one, we have to realize that training leads to triumph. That in other words, there is a purpose, there is a benefit, there is something of tremendous value that we want to give to our children. So we have to take up the responsibility of training our children. Listen to Ephesians again. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that they may live a long life on the earth. When children honor and obey their parents, it leads to a long and good life. And now we see in our society the intentional warped indoctrination being pumped into our kids in school, on TV, in movies, in cartoons, in music, etc., etc., etc. Literally, the enemy is after their lives both physically and spiritually. He wants to do the exact opposite of the promise of obedience. The promise of obedience is that life goes well with them and they live long. The promise of disobedience is they get snuffed out spiritually and physically. This is now, I don't mean to overhype it, right? I'm not really the alarmist that maybe some may think I am. And I don't watch really that much news anymore because I can't stand it. But the truth of the matter is there's an all-out assault right now against not just humanity, but the youngest and the most innocent of humanity, even our children. And it's time that Christian parents wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. The world you're living in is not the same world that you grew up in. The schools aren't like the schools were when you and I went to schools. It's not like that anymore. It's different, right? When we train our children to be honorable and to obey, we set them up for a long life. Anything less, listen to me carefully, as a parent, is the equivalent of not loving your child. But I really do love my child. If you don't train your child according to the scripture, you're not really loving them like you should. Why? Proverbs 22, verse 6. Listen to what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from them. What does it mean to train? It means to teach a particular behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. It means to form or direct by instruction and discipline and skill. It means to direct the growth. It means to aim or to point in a particular direction. Matter of fact, listen to what Psalm 127 verse 4 says. It says, like arrows are in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of their youth. What does that mean? Well, what do you do with an arrow? Before you let it fly, you point it somewhere, right? You don't just indiscriminately start going, 
You pull it back and you aim it so that it arrives at a particular destination. That's what training is. Training is, by the way, when you pull back an arrow, you know what you're doing? You're putting tension on it. Hello, parents. You're not called to be your child's friend. You're called to be their parent. And that means sometimes you have to put tension on the situation in order that they go in the direction that they are supposed to go in. And it requires, listen, training requires discipline. It may not always be pleasant. They might not always like you. They might fight. They might push back. They might say even nasty things to you. There may be some tears. But keep training in the ways of God, and it will produce triumph in your child's life. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Listen to what Hebrews says about discipline. There is no such thing as training without discipline. It's impossible. Imagine every great athlete wanting to be great, and, and training without any discipline. It takes discipline to show up early. It takes discipline to hit the gym. It takes discipline to eat right. That's all part of training. Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 5 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God deals with you, uh, God deals with you, uh, as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Parents who don't discipline their kids are treating their kids like they're illegitimate children. Like they don't really care about their children. I know that's not what's in their heart. I know in their heart sometimes parents feel like, well, I don't want to do that or I don't want to make them do this or I don't want to force them to do that because if I do that, then, then, you know, they're, they're going to get upset and there's going to be a fight in the family and all that. So, so I really love them and I just want them to be happy. Happiness is not the goal. Godliness is the goal. Because when they are godly, listen to me, It'll, happiness will accompany that. Joy will accompany that. Now there's no chastening, the scripture goes on to say, that seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it or exercised by it. No, tr- notice, training leads to triumph. Train them in the ways of God, not the ways of the world. Train them to stand out and stand tall in a world dominated by sin. Don't abdicate your parental authority to the world which leads them astray. Draw a line in the sand in your family, and it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. As for me and my house, like Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. In other words, it doesn't matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter what your friends are doing. Our standard is what does the scriptures say? We are going to church. It is a non-negotiable. Would you give your child a choice whether they're going to school or not? Why are you giving them a choice whether they go to church or not? You mean to tell me what they're going to learn at school, especially nowadays, is more important than what they're going to learn at church? There's a lot of smart people in hell. There's a lot of people with PhDs in hell. Non-negotiable. We're training. We're praying in our house. We're not watching that. We're not dressing like that. Back in my day, I had two sisters. Man, if they came down looking some kind of way, my father, my mother, and me, their older brother, you ain't going out like that. 
There ain't no way you're going out like that. Why? Because that's not how we do it. We love the Lord. We model the Lord, right? We're not talking to adults like that. We're not listening to that kind of stuff. We're not pretty, uh, treating people like that. We're not speaking like that. As for us, we don't care what everybody else is doing. Our measuring stick, our standard is not the standard of the world. We are walking in the principles of the word of God. That's what we are doing in this house. I have to control myself because I feel like saying things, but that's number two. Realize training must precede choice. Training must precede choice. A lot of parents who feel like they're being good parents, well, I'll just let my kids choose. You know, I'll just kind of let them choose what religion they want to be. I'll let them choose whether they want to do this or they want to do that. To which I say, Parenting with options like that, why don't you just, uh, when it's time to eat, put out a spread of ice cream, cake, cookies, sugary drinks, candy, and put it right next to the broccoli and say, you choose. When, when it comes time to, for entertainment, put out some cocaine, put out some heroin, and, and, and put out, you know, like a nice godly movie and say, you choose. See, we, we realize how preposterous it sounds when we compare choices like that. But what happens with a lot of parents is they don't realize how deadly sometimes letting a child choose before they've been trained to choose. And the fact of the matter is even the world, as screwed up as the world is, understands that training must precede choice, right? Before you can drive, guess what you have to do? You've got to get trained. You ain't getting behind a wheel without training, without passing your driver's test. There are a series, and by the way, even God is like this, right? God, we have to pass series of spiritual tests before we are released into greater parts of our destiny. And it's as a good parent, it is our job to make sure they are trained because once they are trained, then that will lead to triumph. Training leads to triumph and training must precede choices. Ultimately, yes, they have to choose, but the key is they must be prepared to choose correctly. Even in warped society, we realize that. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 19, God says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. In other words, choice will eventually come. But what does a blessing choice look like? What is a blessing choice? What is a life choice? You can't allow kids who don't know the difference. And some kids don't know the difference when they're five. Some kids don't know the difference when they're 15. And so you as the parent have to determine when they have been trained sufficiently enough to make the right choice. How do you know that? What is the fruit of their choosing. Are you with me? It's quiet in here. Realize training must precede choice. Listen, to train requires not just talking to them, but more important, modeling for them. It's not just the talk you talk, it is the walk you walk. The old adage, do as I say and not as I do, doesn't work when it comes to training children. Kids learn not only by what they hear, but by what they see. Kids are famous, by the way, for spilling the beans on what their parents do. You ever get around young kids? One parent was potty training, who was potty training their little five-year-old. Um, they went to the bathroom and they came out and the five-year-old said, give me a high five and said, good job to the parent, by the way. Right? 
Another parent reported how the four-year-old was upset with her mom because she wasn't attending to her request immediately. And she said, I shouldn't have to ask more than once to her mom. She said this. What was she doing? She was, she was modeling what she saw. I remember when Joe was like in seventh and eighth grade. This might be overtelling just a little bit. He raised his hand in class. He said this to the teacher. Can I go drop a deuce? He got that from his mom, by the way. <laughs> Over t- kids will kids will expose right what it is that they uh, are having modeled before them. Children learn not just by what they are told, but by what they see. Matter of fact, listen to Ephesians chapter five, verse number one. It says, "Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children." So two things. First of all, it's telling us that children imitate what they see. And and the Greek word for imitate is mimitos. It means to mimic. And so literally the way kids learn is they look at the behavior and they mimic that behavior back. I remember again when, when we were younger, Nicole, what she would do, she'd get her baby dolls and, and she would set them up in a high chair and she would feed them and she would say all the same things and do all the same things that she saw my wife doing with her younger brother. She was modeling that. She was repeating that behavior. One day we don't hear anything going on and we wonder where, where's Joey at? And we realize he, he, we haven't seen him in like 10 minutes, no noise. We go up to the bedroom. We open the door. There's foot powder all over the place. Like literally all over the place. And there are shoes on his bed. And we look at him and we say, Bo, what you doing? He said, well, I'm putting powder in my shoes just like daddy. Because he would see every time that I would get dressed. I'd put, And that's how he learned. And so we need to understand that this is modeling. Modeling. We should, they should, they are a reflection in many ways of us. This is why when you become a parent, you have a high responsibility. And your first responsibility as a parent is, what are you modeling to the kids that God has entrusted to you? One of the ways you might remember that they knew that Peter was a disciple of Jesus when he tried to de- betray Jesus or when he did betray Jesus. You remember the story? The servant girl comes up to him and says, do you belong to Jesus? He said, I don't know who he is. She comes back and she said, are you sure? Because you talk like him. Your speech betrays you. How many of you know when you are a child of God, you are supposed to talk like him. You are supposed to walk like him. You are supposed to act like him. You are supposed to look like him. You are supposed to reflect him. And the greatest reflection of what God is supposed to look like should be in your very house. Your kids need you to be parents. Our kids learn from not just by what we say, but what we do. Are we modeling for them? Because training precedes choosing. Number three, train them from the time that they're tots. From the time that they're little. Again, look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word child here literally means from infancy to adolescence. In other words, what you put in them when they're young is of particular importance to what they become. What you put in them when they're young determines what they become. What you put in them when they're young determines what they become. This is why we have an influx in our crazy, just culturally weird and bizarre and now accepted world in which we live where where is all the insanity starting to happen? In kindergarten. That's why we got all the books going into kindergarten. That's why we got the guest book readers in kindergarten. Because we are now trying to teach them certain things so that by the time they grow up, we will have phased out 
any biblical or any sound or any moral reasoning. So now we've got to teach them from the time that they were young because we train them from when they're tots. What, whatever we put in them when they're young determines what they become. I remember one day I was tucking Joey in, and uh, he was about maybe five, six, and he said this to me. He said, Dad, do tongues. You know, he just was enamored by it. So I started praying in the spirit, you know, with him. And, and, and all of a sudden, he just starts mimicking me. I don't think he was necessarily filled with the Holy Ghost right then and there. But he just started mimicking what he saw. And because we need to realize that from the time that they're little, what we put in them determines what they become. Train them from the time that they are taught. My daughter had a college assignment, and they asked her, who is, who is the person who influenced you most in choosing the ministry? And she wrote, my father from a very young age taught us that with Jesus we are destined to win. And she went on and she said, when I got out of high school and I was struggling to understand that, remembering that is what got me through, or one of the things that got me through. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And even if they make a left turn, even if they don't always walk the walk that they're supposed to walk, what you put in them when they're young will be the thing that they come back to when they are old. Pour it in, pour it in, pour it in. I want to give you two more and then we'll be done. How do we train our children for triumph. And I want to go to the story that we commonly call the story of the prodigal son. You know the story. There's this good, good, good father in the story. He's representative of our heavenly father, right? He raises his kids right. He teaches them the ways of God. He models it for them. He speaks the right thing. And one day, Junior, when he's all grown up, because you know how it is with kids, sometimes when they grow up, they think, well, we got to, you know, do it our way. By the way, the, the stupidest way to learn is mistakes. It's a way to learn. It's the stupidest way to learn. The best way to learn is mentors. The advantage of a mentor is if I value them, if I, if I, if I, if I look at them and say, they, they know how to do it, I glean from what the mistakes that they made so that I don't have to make them. Because you know what mistakes do? Mistakes have a price to them. And I'd rather learn without the costly price of the mistake. There's always a price even to learning. You have to dig in. You have to submit yourself. All of those kind of things. But there's mistakes and mentors. Well, Junior grows up and he says to his good, good father, he says, I want, look at it with me, Father, Luke chapter 15, verse number 12, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. And if you're in this church for any period of time, you've heard me say this, that this was the height of disrespect in Bible times. In Bible times, no good Jewish boy would ever ask their father for their inheritance where their father was living because what it meant is, Father, I wish you were dead. Father, I want everything you got, but I want no relationship with you whatsoever. And so uh, his, his father, he basically, he gives him all this stuff, and the kid goes off and he makes all, this, all these mistakes. Now, one of the things I just told you was that this father was a good, good father. And I think it's worth saying right now that not every mistake that your child makes is because you were a poor parent. The reason why this story is in here is to model for us that sometimes even parents that do everything the way they're supposed to do it or to the best of their ability, no glaring deficiencies in that area, sometimes even have kids who make wrong decisions. This was a good, good father. He was representative of our good, good father, our heavenly father who loves us and is perfect in every way. But there are other times when the roads that our kids are traveling on, we know are because we did a few things wrong along the way. 
And it's to those people that I want to talk right now and really to everybody. Number four, how do I train my child for success? Number one, trust God. Trust God to forgive you and start now. God will forgive you and God could make up the difference where you fell short. But ask God to forgive you. If you know you didn't do the right job, if you know that you gave your kid too many premature choices, if you know you didn't train your kid properly in the ways of God, and now you're seeing, now that you're serious with God, that your kid is not actually following the ways of God, get before God and ask God to forgive you. And then say to God, God, can you make up the difference? God can make up for lost time. Do you remember what happened with Joshua? He prayed for the sun to stand still. And what did God do? He held that sun still. God can make Make up for lost time. And God can pour into your kids the things that you didn't put into them. God can make it up. Um, number two. I was just thinking, well, I should say something else, but I'll pass. Number two. Trust God to make up the difference where you fell short. How so? Watch this. The message version of John chapter 1, verse 12 says, He who believed... He was who he claimed to be and would do what he said. He made them to be their true selves, their child of God selves, their God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not self begotten or sex begotten selves. What does this mean? It means that your kids have a higher begotten in their life. Remember what we said the word parent meant? Begetter. It means those that have the responsibility to train. But I want to encourage you to know when you've asked God for forgiveness and to make up the difference where you fell short is to know there's a higher begetter in your children's lives. There's somebody in your children's lives that loves them more than you and I love them. And the times at which we can no longer influence, maybe because they're older and things like that, we can believe that God will step in and that God will talk to them and that God will minister to their hearts because God is a good, good father and God can make up the difference. And maybe you're here today and maybe you didn't have parent parents who taught you in the things of God. Maybe you're a teenager, didn't have good parents. Maybe you're an adult, didn't have good parents parents, and that's the reason why you struggled in your parenting. How many of you know that God can make up the difference? If God needs to point you in one direction, he'll close a door, he'll open another door. If he needs to show you what is right and what is wrong, he'll speak to you by the Holy Spirit. If he needs to correct you, he will do it with your best interest in mind. Like Jonah, he'll send a whale if he has to, or a worm if he has to, because God has got infinite resources at his disposal. God can make up the difference where we fall short for the young man in our story. God uses a pig pen to point the young man back toward father's house. The devil thought the pig pen was punishment to put him to shame, but the boy was God begotten, and so God used the pig pen to bring him back to father's house. The whole world is at God's disposal, his arsenal and his ammunition to make us arrive where we are supposed to arrive at is unlimited. He will make his word known to our kids. He will make their path straight. He will deliver them. He will put a road in their ocean and a river in their desert. He'll chase them down. He'll speak to them in storms. He'll shut the mouth of their lions. He'll walk through the fiery furnace with them. We need to understand God can make up the difference. But let's not know that and abdicate. Let's not know that and say, well, God, you know, it's up to you now. No, we need to do whatever we can. Number three, 
want to trust God. Trust God to be true to his word. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Little Junior, Junior was raised right, but he was going through a rogue season. Luke chapter 15, look, look at our story. Verse 15. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent them into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my father. What was happening? What was put in him was now leading him back. He arose. He got up out of the pig pen. He came back from the far country. He put the pods and the pigs down. He came to himself. He said, this isn't how I was raised. This isn't what mama taught me. This isn't what daddy modeled for me. This isn't me. I'm going back to my roots. I'm going to my foundation. I'm leaving my life a sin and I'm going back to where I'm supposed to go back. Trust God to be true to his word. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. And then also trust God to answer your prayers. The Bible says in Luke 15 in our story, verse number 20, he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. He ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The father was looking for the son. The father was making a trip every day to wherever he could see over the horizon. He was looking out. Is my son coming home? Is my son coming home? One day he sees his son coming home. And he runs to the boy. And the reason why he runs to the boy is because I believe that that father was praying. I don't know about you, but if you ever go through a season where your kids are not right, you're going to pray more than you ever have prayed in your entire life. You're going to pray and pray and pray and pray. And so this father, I don't believe he was just looking, but he was looking and praying. And I heard the Holy Spirit say this, when you're praying, make sure you're looking at the same time. Amen. Make sure you're expecting what you pray for. How many of you know you're not praying to a God that doesn't hear? You're praying to a God that hears our prayers. A God that, that, it, that, that, that operates on the wings of our prayers. A God that intervenes on our prayers. So when you're praying for something, be looking for that same thing. I believe it was also his heart that he was looking, but it was also his faith looking. That every day he'd get up and he'd say, okay, where's my son? I know he's coming back someday because I've been praying. I want you to know sometimes the only thing that you can do is pray, but you need to pray. Wear your knees out praying. Make sure that you are looking and praying for your kid. The devil may have thought he beat you because you're knocked to your knees, but how many of you know this is how we fight our battles? Sometimes what you need to do is you need to intercede. And can I speak to the men for a minute? Don't just let it be mama who prays. If all you got in the family is a mama, then mama you pray for too. And God can do it. But if you got a mama and a daddy in the family, 
Dads, this is why you all need to be at the men's conference. Don't just let it be mama who prays. Because can I tell you something? There is no substitute for the authority of the father in the family. And men need to take their place and understand that when we pray, we pray a spiritual blessing on our kid. When we pray, hell starts taking off and releasing their hands from our kids. Grab your wife and pray for your kids and intercede for your kids and be the spiritual leader of your home. One could put the flight a thousand, but two can put the flight ten thousand. Pray for your children. That father was praying. That father was interceding. But that father was also continuing to train. To train with truth and to train with grace. It's been a theme in our little series here. Truth and grace. Because sometimes when culture goes crazy, we get up on our soapbox and we ruin the whole thing. Truth and grace. Why did that father run? Because he was praying and he was looking. But also because when a boy did that kind of stuff in Bible times and came back home, they would be stoned by their community. And so that father knew if he gets close without protection, he's going to die. So what I got to do is I got to run to where he is and I got to wrap my arms around him and I got to walk my child back the rest of the way. How many of you know sometimes you need to get in the way of the rocks that are being thrown? And just let me tell you something. People will throw rocks at your kids. Now, when people correct your kids for doing something wrong, they ain't throwing rocks at your kids. Because we, we do that as parents too. You have a good person who a teacher, somebody in authority, who is sincerely trying to pour something in your kid, who are you to tell my kid? If they're telling your child what the Bible has to say and what's right, support that so that you help your kid. But there are other times when people will just throw rocks because they're envious and they're jealous and all of those kind of things. And there are sometimes, you know what you need to do? You need to stand in the way. You need to get in the way of your rocks. And the people who throw rocks are usually the people who had a lot of stuff going on in their life all of a sudden think that their poop don't stink anymore and now they're throwing rocks at everybody else. So what did they do? That, that, that one, he said, I need to walk you back. If you're going to try to throw rocks, you're going to have to hit me. You're going to have to go through me to get my child. How many of you know, that's what we as parents are. We are not only raisers, but we are protectors. And as a protector, it's not just protecting them from the things that people are doing, obviously, but it's not sending them to the superintendency of wolves. It's not putting them in environments where their mind is going to be affected over and over again and then wondering why they think those things. You are your child's protector. You need to protect their environment. This whole business that, well, kids need to learn by being exposed. Who told you that deranged theology? My Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What does it mean? It means that the more we could keep them away from stuff until they mature enough to stand on their own, the better off that they will be, not the other way around. I could tell in the spirit that some of you, I'm really working your parental belief system right now. But that's good. Because how many of you know as a pastor, my job is not to get you to like me. It's to get you to learn the word of God. Praise the Lord. You're your child's protector. He let that child go. He took a stand. No, no, you can't behave that way. 
in our house. I have to sometimes, and you have to sometimes, draw a line in the sand. We love you, but we can't support that. We'll always be here for you. Our home is always, always open to you. You can always, but we can't support that line in the sand. Truth, but also grace. You deserve to be stoned to death. But let me get in the way of your rocks. Let me help you to get back to where you need to go. Truth and grace. I've said it before. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But grace and truth together is miraculous. And when you train your children, you need both in your life, in their lives. You don't pick on everything. Some of you parents know this. Certain battles, okay? But there are other things. This is our truth. This is the truth, not just our truth, but the truth, grace and truth. And when we come to our story, the most miraculous thing in the story is what the story really represents. The story really represents our good, good heavenly father and us, doesn't it? We are the ones who deserve to be stoned to death. We are the ones who were born into and have lived a life of sin. But when we give our life to Jesus, what does he do? He gets in the way of our rocks. And he says, no, no, no. On the cross, I paid the price for you so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from me. The whole story is really about us and Jesus. But in it, we learn how to be the kind of parents we should be and how to train our children for triumph. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we give you honor in this place. Father, it's a new school year. And Father, we pray again for wisdom for parents, for protection for kids, for wisdom for teachers and educators, for grace to be poured out. Father, that you would make sure that our kids are so protected that their minds are not poisoned by the things that are going on in this world, but that they remain pure and upright and God-honoring. Father, give us the wisdom that we need as parents, as leaders, to lead our children. And Father, to be voices, to stand up. We know this world is not right, but we don't have to accept it. Father, we can make our voices known in the areas of education, in our public school systems. We could be the ones who say, no, 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 no. We're not going to have that in our schools. We're not going to have that in our kids' lives. Father, give us courage as Christians in these last days to follow Jesus, despite what it may mean, despite the price that we may have to pay. With every head bowed and every eye closed, do you know Jesus? Are you right with God? Do you deserve to be stoned? Somebody say, well, I don't deserve it. I'm a pretty good person. Can I tell you what God's standard is? It's absolute perfection. He's a holy God, and the standard is absolute perfection. You say, well, pastor, nobody's perfect. Exactly. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to give you his perfection. And the way that we become right with God 
is we give our life to Jesus. We receive his righteousness and we are put in right standing with God. If you're here today and you're not right with God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, just hold your hand up. I want to pray for you. Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to get right with God. Hold it up nice and high. God bless you, young man. That's awesome. God bless you over here. That's awesome. Pastor, today I want to get right with Jesus. I don't know if I am, but today I want it. One more time. Anybody else? Amen. Put your hands down. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bring these people to you. And those of you that just raised your hand, say this with me. Heavenly Father, I'll say it together out loud. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I receive him as full payment for my sin. And I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, an usher is going to find you. I know some of you may have rededicated your life to the Lord. And that's awesome. Church, let's go out. Let's raise our kids right. But more importantly, let's be soldiers in our community. Bring some people to church with you next week. It's going to be amazing. God bless you. See you there.